Ronald Charles Joseph Zaleski, the founder of The Long Walk Home. I don't usually use my full name, but figured I'd throw it in since you asked. So what inspired you to create the foundation? Um, well, I'm a Marine, and I was in the Vietnam era, and I'm, I'm a non-combat Marine. I'm what they call a boot Marine, because <clears throat> I never served in combat. And uh, we didn't get treated well back then. And uh, I was angry for 33 years. I blamed everybody else. Um, it was just one angry guy. I got an empty sidewalk pretty much wherever I went in town. And uh, <clears throat> what happened was when I was in, uh, I don't believe in killing. I went in to hurt my parents because I won the draft lottery. Back then they had a lottery. And my number was 34. So you knew I was going. And I went in with a buddy that had a record. Uh, he convinced me to go. Well, he talked to me. His number was 16. He says, oh, go in with me. We're going to go anyway. And I said, the only way I'm going is if the FBI take me because I'm not going in. Because before I was in the Marine Corps, I was in the Merchant Marines. I was 17. We we're on a freighter delivering military equipment to the Arabs. And I said, how can we do this? How can we give weapons to the enemies of our friends? And they all laughed at me and said, it's about money. And I was 17 and the world was black and white. And um, I'm Catholic, and I was really Catholic then and believed it's wrong to kill no matter what. And I, I contemplated suicide because I didn't want to be part of this. I couldn't, I couldn't see, I didn't feel good about myself. I figured I'm going to go to hell because I'm helping kill, you know, people. And uh, I had a a vision then, you know, an epiphany that we're here to love one another and and it was okay, you know, and then I, it's, it, you can't really explain a vision or an epiphany like that because I just got why we're all here. And then, you know, I had no problem with it. I was fine and, you know, I, I went about my way, but like I said, then I got, you know, drafted, well, and won the lottery and got to go in the Marines. And then I <clears throat> got into a fight with my commanding officer and said, uh, you know, I'm not going. And he said, uh, he said, well, you know, I said, the only way you're going to get me over there is if you chain me to a helicopter, because I'm not going. He says, is that right? I said, that's right. And my, <clears throat> you know, I went home on leave and I didn't tell my parents because I had told them when I was going in the Marines to hurt him because, you know, they don't want to lose their son. And it's, you know, at 19, you're not thinking anything, you know, you're thinking most of the time, you know? And so, um, you know, so I uh, didn't say anything when I got home on leave and I got down on my knees and I prayed and they said, God help me because I don't think I have the courage not to shoot another man. I'm afraid and I want to live. So I went back. I wasn't going to run to Canada. So I went to my duty station and I was prepared to go to prison for five years of face a firing squad because that my belief was that strong, that it's wrong. So uh, 
I'm supposed to go with five other guys. They all go. When it comes to me, I said, I'm not going. They said, don't worry, you coward. Your orders have been changed. And I'm like, thank you, God. And then a month before I get out, I meet one of the five and he's limping. And I said, what happened? He said, we all got shot and two died. So all of a sudden, I just had was just flooded with the guilt and the anger. You know, did I do the right thing? Could I have saved them? You know, was I a coward? You know, did I do the right thing standing up for what I believe in? You know, it was really hard. So I kind of went numb and everything went to anger. And uh, when I got out, I stopped wearing shoes as a memorial for my friends that had died and suffered when I'm in. But the problem with that is when people would come to me and say, how come you don't wear shoes? I'd say, I don't feel like it. You got a problem with that? Because I would fight anybody because I was so angry. <clears throat> you know, and they, they called me baby killer and they, you know, spit at me and, you know, all that good stuff. So that doesn't help you. So, you know, I was angry for 33 years and then 9-11 happened and it brought up all the stuff I had tried to bury. And I just remember the guy screaming in the barracks, you know, when my first duty station, I'd be in the barracks and you'd hear screams every night. The guys having nightmares of what they had seen and done. So it brought that all back. And then I just saw the same thing happening again because I had heard the same verbiage. The president saying, well, we've exhausted every means to resolve this conflict. Our only recourse is war. I heard the same thing back in the 70s and the 60s, and my blood boiled. So <clears throat> what happened was uh, I my favorite job back then, I used to own a gym, was to teach little kids to swim. And uh, this little eight-year-old asked me, hey, how come you don't wear shoes? That's the first person I ever told in 33 years, why I didn't wear shoes. Soon as I did that, I realized I'm the problem. I've allowed this to go on. I've done nothing about it. That's unacceptable. I shut down my business and did the Appalachian Trail barefoot to create awareness, but that ended up being my penance to forgive myself. And nothing changed. So in 2000, um, 10 and 11, I made a sign and got a petition and then walked across the country barefoot with this petition, getting people to sign it, which I was going to storm Washington with because I'm this genius that knows what to do and they can't figure it out. They know exactly what to do, but they're just not doing it. I just didn't realize that I was so naive. And then, uh, and I'm, I was arrogant back then too, you know, so, uh, you know, so I go to Washington after I walked across the country and it was like talking to the wall. And then I realized that I don't go tell somebody what to do. I do something, then ask for help. And in Washington's case, I ask for help and then give them the credit for doing it. So, uh, you know, so then I opened up a shelter and then, you know, then I learned the difference between helping and enabling and then, and that was 2014 to 16, we had a shelter in the Keys. And then uh, 2019, when the corona hit, I, I wrote a book, The Long Walk Home. It was about my journey and my transformation. 
And then we um, we did 10 challenges to service because during the corona, I, I couldn't engage with people. So we did this and we did 10 challenges to service. We did it online and we helped people shift their perception because when I had the shelter, I realized giving you stuff doesn't do anything to really help you. It helps you temporarily, but when you run out, you're just the same person and you haven't made a change and your life doesn't change. But when we give you the 10 challenges to service and then you go through those, you have a shift in your perception. So we developed these challenges on my own experiences would help me shift to make a difference and to take responsibility because I had given my power away when I got out of Marines because I blamed everybody else for everything. So I wasn't responsible for anything. It's not my fault. It's the government's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the parents' fault. It's the police. It was everybody but me. And that was arrogant to believe that I didn't make a difference. We, we all make a difference. <clears throat> you know, but I realize it. And then these challenges help you take back your power. Because when we're in the military, we're warriors. When we get out, now it's time for us to be leaders, to help the younger people through it and to give them guidance because we've been there and done it. And, uh, you know, the, I don't like to get political, but, you know, in the Indian culture, the warriors become their leaders. In our culture, the warriors become the people that you don't let hold the broom or you're afraid to let them deal with you on any level because you're afraid of them. They should be they should become the leaders because they know the cost of war. The people in Washington now, the majority of them have no idea what the cost of war is. If they were in the war or had their child in the war, they'd know the cost. And they would find another way instead of saying we've exhausted every recourse. If your child was in there on the front line, I bet you you'd find another way. So, and war is an evil, it's stupid. You know, we, we try to glorify it by saying, oh, you know, we're fighting evil. No, we're stupid. We're so, supposedly so brilliant, we can send a man to the moon and we can, you know, invent a, a car and a computer but we can't figure out how to stop killing one another. And, and not this excuse that, well, we've always done it, we always will, it's human nature. Is it human nature to kill your children? No. So why would it be human nature to kill another person? You know, that's, that's a lame excuse. That's lazy, that's stupid, it upsets me. So these challenges help you make that shift because <clears throat> these young men, they need a chance. And what people don't realize is the damage we do. They, At one point, they used to use the term, we're acceptable collateral damage. Like if we lost 7% of the population, that's acceptable. You know, we'd lose them in this war, but that'd be fine. But we impact the entire country. One of the most startling statistics I have found is that I went and spoke at a foster home. And I spoke at a foster home where this was their last chance. And if they didn't make it at this foster home, they're gonna be they're gonna be institutionalized for the rest of their life. I asked them, 
How many of you have a parent in the military? Every child in the room raised his hand. <clears throat> we get home, we're angry, we destroy our family. We beat the kids, we lose the kids. We beat our wife, we lose the kids. We drink or we do drugs, we, we lose the kids. We kill ourselves, we lose the kids. We go to jail, we lose the kids. The kids end up in a foster care and they feel they're not loved. Their suicide rate in a foster care is 25%. By the age of 21, 80% of the boys will be in prison. 80% of the girls by that age will be an unwed mother. People don't realize the damage we do, so we just let it go on. Oh, it's acceptable. It's, it's not acceptable. We're destroying our own country with this. And to me, you know, people say, oh, well, I can't do anything. Yes, you can. You know, you, you, know, you go and you see a guy in a uniform and you say, oh, thank you for your service and you run away, or you don't look him in the eye, or you're afraid of him, you say, you know, thank you for your service. How can I help you? What can I do for you? And you, you look him in the eye, or you see somebody that's in trouble, and you say, are you okay? And they're like, uh, yeah, I'm okay. No, no, no. Are you okay? What's going on? Can I help? And then they'll tell you, but we just want to hear that sound bite and we don't really want to do anything with anybody. I mean, it's nice if they say, thank you for your service. It's a whole lot better than calling your baby killer. But we each can do something. And civilians don't have the same experience we've had. You know, there's this big divide. And, you know, understandably, we've had an experience you've never had, and we hope you never do. And you can't really understand it. You can... You can you can kind of understand it. You can get a, a, an understanding, but you'll never know. And two guys that have gone through the same experience will really never know what the other guy experienced because we all see the world a little different. So, you know, that's what we do. And this, this, these challenges we do, it's something that you can do with somebody else. And we like to, we like to like pay it forward. The biggest thing we do the most powerful thing we do, or we do campouts. You can either go walk with us or camp out with us for two days or just come and join us on a walk. And then you're totally off the grid because when you're on the Zoom or this thing here, yeah. you're on all the time. When we have you out in the woods and you don't have this with you, you're disconnected and you can focus on you and you can go inside and look for the answer. We're always looking for the answer out here. No, we, we all know the answer right in here, but we don't give ourselves time to listen. So we, we get you disconnected and we get you out of that where you can ask these questions and answer these questions and look at things different. And we do it as a group because you'll you'll say something for like uh you know like one of the challenges is what are you grateful for yeah. you know you'll be grateful for something that i took for granted i'm like whoa i never thought of that and you know you may think that's not a big deal but we had one guy he was 27 a gun in his mouth and drinking a fifth of the day 
It took him two days to answer that challenge. What are you grateful for? Because he believed he was a monster. When he answered that question, though, it changed his life. Because then he saw something to be grateful for, something to live for, and then he could change. So these, you know, these changes might not seem like much, or they challenges may not seem like much, but when you internalize them and then you look at it a different way, your whole perspective changes and your whole life changes with it and the life of all those around you because your family's in the impact zone. They're the ones, the children get damaged the most. So, I mean, I, I know I went a little, you know, off the rails there, but I mean, that's why I do this. No, that's important to say all of that. Uh, yeah. But with the challenges and, you know, helping veterans, how has that helped your mental health? Oh, you know, I didn't really, you know, I used to hear this thing um, being cynical and arrogant and angry as I was, you know, people say, oh, you know, um, you know, you help somebody, you're helping yourself and, you know, and oh, you do it without any, uh, you know, without any expectation of getting anything back. I figured, yeah, well, I heard Christ did that, but I'm not even sure about him. But when I actually help somebody and, and without wanting anything back, just to help that person, I probably got more out of it or as much as that person that I had helped. And when I realized I don't help anybody, I'm Dumbo's feather. I can inspire you to change. I can walk with you and guide you on a path I've been that you haven't been yet. And that to me is awesome. That is like one of the biggest ways to help heal yourself is to help somebody else. And I never realized that. I just thought that's like a myth. That's an urban myth that, you know, you help somebody, you're gonna, it's going to help you. Well, when you truly help somebody because you want to help them, it's amazing, you know. I, everybody should try it at least once, and then hopefully you get hooked. No, it, it's true. I I agree with that because uh, I struggle with uh, mental illness as well. Uh, and, you know, just getting a compliment makes the world a difference. Yeah, yeah. You, we, you never know the impact you have. Like, I, you know, I... I haven't been walking for a while with my sign because I messed up my foot, but, uh, you know, I still walk with the sign and I'm, I remember I got back from walking across the country with the sign and I was still walking, you know, five days a week with the sign. And this one day when I'm walking, I'm saying, God, you know, I'm getting tired of doing this. I, I, you know, I can't keep doing this. He says, I, and then I hear this little voice, you know, how sometimes you have clarity and you hear a yeah. voice and you know it's not yours because it makes too much sense, you know. And it said, I know you are, but but I'm not. So, so I said, okay, okay, I'll I'll keep walking. And so the next day I kind of dragged my feet, I walked. Halfway through the walk, this 20-year-old kid came up to me. And he says, thank you for being here today. I was going to kill myself. So I'm like, okay, God, I get it. <clears throat> you know, I was fortunate enough to know the impact I have just by 
just by being there, just by showing up. You have no idea. You, you may never know all the people you touch in your life because they don't say anything. But everything you do has an impact. And you're never going to know most of the time what that impact was. But the more you show up because you care, you know, it's a really bright light for people that are in the dark. When I was looking at your website, I saw the the team page uh, with with your team that, uh, you know, with the organization. How does it feel to have, you know, people believing in your mission as well? When I was arrogant, you know, oh, yeah, I'm just so awesome. But I've been really humbled by what they do to help. And I'm honored, and I don't, I haven't done anything for them. They've done all the work. They think I've done something for them. No, they have done the work. I like to call it like I'm Dumbo's feather. You know, the old Disney film where the elephant was up in a tree and he didn't know how he got there, and the crow told him he flew, and Dumbo says, no, I can't fly, and then the crow gives him his feather. It says, it says, this is magic. You know, hold this and you can fly. And they flew. And that's the way I feel I am. You know, these people can fly. These people can do amazing things. They just don't know it. They don't believe that they can, but I do. And, uh, you know, that to me is the biggest thing you can do is support another person and help them give them themselves. Because everybody is so, everybody changes the world and they don't realize it. Because when you change, the world changes because you're part of the world. You know, so and people say, oh, you can't fight City Hall and you can't do this, you can't do that. You can do anything you want. Have a choice. It may not, it may take longer, it may be hard, but so what? I think it's harder to sit and do nothing and just be on your deathbed and say, I should have done something. Well, that's going to suck. Trust me. So do it now because you might be dead tonight. You have no idea. You know, you know, just because, you know, we're younger or, you know, people that live to be a hundred. Oh, yeah, I got plenty of time. No, you don't. You know, you can slip on a, on a piece of ice, crack your head and die and be over that quick, you know? So, yeah, that's uh, that's where I am. I mean, we have a lot of amazing people, you know, a lot of amazing people. We're we're just redoing the whole site now. We just have somebody else that's volunteered to help and really make it a lot better and make it easier for people to get involved because the Zoom is awesome because we can reach thousands of people all across the country. We, we reach people around the world and they do this and it changes them. I mean, it's just one little change and they get it. And it's, it's awesome when you look at a person and you see that like, the light bulb goes on, you can see that in their eyes like when, oh, I get it, you know, it's, it's awesome. <laughs>